Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Good morning, good morning. Uh, you guys are sounding really good this morning. Uh, the band was great. The band was great, but the, you guys were singing. I was hearing it in my ears. It was really good, even through the mask. So that means there's a little projection there. Uh, really good. Uh, good to have you with us this morning, whether you're in the house or whether you're on the stream. Happy Sunday. Hope that you're doing well. We're going to continue our series here at the Vineyard called Cultivate. What we've been doing for the last few weeks, this would be the third week, what we've done for the last few weeks is we've been talking about this idea of being cultivators or being gardeners, and sort of the controlling metaphor that we've been using is uh, everyone is a garden, and at the same time, everyone is a gardener. And it's this idea that everyone needs care, but if we're Christian, uh, we're also called to give care. And that giving care and receiving care isn't just a matter of professional religion, you know? Uh, You don't need a staff pastor Uh, to care for you. In fact, that may or may not ever happen. But what you need is connection to the body of Jesus that is tight enough that others know about your needs and can care, but then also where you know about other people's needs and can begin to care. Uh, And the reason we're talking about this is because we're just acknowledging or waking up to the fact that we're living in in a moment of profound dislocation, a moment of profound Uh, disconnection. And so a lot of the natural caring, a lot of the natural pastoring that would happen in a church, just kind of like automatically without much thinking, it just doesn't happen now. And so what that means is is that all of us have to wake up and look around and go, who's around me? Uh, What is God giving me? Uh, Do I need to reach out? Do I need help? You know, we're just having to be much more intentional about that. And so we're discovering what are some areas where we can uh, both garden and be gardened. And we highlighted a few areas. Uh, Last week, we talked about just gardening our homes. And we looked at Acts chapter 10. We looked at Cornelius, who was this man of prayer, who who made a space where God could meet with him. But then by the end of the story, uh, Cornelius is having the apostle Peter come to his house, and Peter's giving him more, right? So Cornelius is not just someone who gardens his own family, but Cornelius is also someone who's humble enough to receive care from someone else. And it's like the perfect Christian story. That's like your whole life in one chapter, you know? And so what we want to do this morning is, uh, I want to talk to you about cultivating, gardening, uh, pastoring, and caring uh, at work and at school. If we can do that for a few minutes. And the reason I want to do that is that, uh, Emily and I were talking. Emily, that'd be Emily Snyder. She's uh, one of the people here at the Vineyard who helps me preach through series more and more these days. Um, one of the things that we've been talking about is how much of our lives are actually spent at work and school. Uh, we talked about family last week, but how many of you understand that you probably spend more hours of your week awake where you work or at your school? You know, think about that for a moment. Think about, especially if you're, if you're sort of uh, out of kid land and you're into adulthood a little bit, uh, you're, you just increasingly give your time away to your employer 
Or maybe you're uh, at college or maybe you're in high school and you realize, oh my goodness, I'm spending more and more time at school. And even when I'm not at school, what am I working on? I'm working on my school stuff. You know, it's like it just becomes more and more of your life. And so one of the reasons we wanted to talk about cultivating work in school is these are areas where we're actually spending a lot of time. In fact, there's a very good chance that you're spending more time at work than you are with your family. There's a very good chance that, that people that you work with are having more interactions with you than maybe your own children. And that's not a condemning thing. That's just, that's just how life works, right? Like, let's say you work 40 or 50 hours at a place, and uh, there's some people around you in an office or maybe at a factory or... Or maybe you work on a crew and you're a contractor or maybe you're an electrician or something like that and you have these group of people around you and uh, you just spend a lot of time with them and it would be really, really crazy if we didn't go uh, and, 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 and just be able to see, wow, this is a huge opportunity for us to show the kindness and the care of Jesus to this group of people. Like this, this might even be the main group of people I'm, call, I'm called to show the kindness and care of Jesus to, you know? Uh, not only that, but there's another thing that work and school have in common with church. And this is actually very important. It's one of the distinctive features of church. But it's also a distinctive feature of your work environment and school. How many of you know that you don't choose the people you go to church with? Right? Like, there's a sense in which you do, right? Like, you, cho- you chose to come here. And, and so, yes, there's a sense in which you choose to come here. Hey, hey good morning, you're here. Uh, but how many of you know that you can't, you can't keep other people from coming here? <laughs> and how many of you know that if, that if you're a part of a church for a while, you're going to sit in front of or next to someone who is radically different than you? Right? In fact, I just want to tell you, that's one of the main distinctive features of church, and it's one of the things that makes church, church. You know, uh, if you want to have a Bible study with your six best friends, that's really good. I recommend it. Uh, the Lord will use it. Uh, that ain't church. That's a, that could be a piece of a church, but that's not church. You haven't had church until you're sitting in a group of people under the lordship of Jesus who is really different than you. That's one of the, I'm telling you, it's one of the key distinctive features. Like, think about it. Peter, James, John, Jesus, all the apostles, what are they? They're Jews. What is the main, uh, the main pastoral work that God gave Paul to do? To reach out to the Gentiles, people who are radically different. Like, the inclusiveness of the kingdom. And let me tell you something, your work environment is like the same thing, right? You know, there's this sense in which uh, you can choose to either be employed there or not be employed there. You can, you can choose to quit, right? Like you don't have to work there. But it's that yes that leads you into all of these other things that you didn't choose, right? And all of a sudden, you're working with people who are way, way different than you. It's one of the main distinctive features. It's the same thing at school, isn't it? You go to school... And uh, hopefully, if it's a good school, one of the things it'll do is it will, it will baptize you into a diverse environment where there's people who grew up different than you, where there's people who have different stories than you, and people who maybe who have different values than you. And this is one of the main features and one of the main ways that, uh, that Christianity is always uh, connected to. It's this, it's, it's this idea of like diversity. Uh, Christianity doesn't do real well in homogenous environments. Christianity always does really well in diverse environments where it's bringing people together who are very, very different. And so even at work or even at school, 
uh, where people are different than you, it's, it's an overlapping fe- feature of church, uh, we're called to give care. We're called to, to give and show the love and the kindness of Jesus. And, and that's what I want to do this morning for a few minutes. And I, I want to do that. I want to do that and, and, and talk to you just a little bit um, out of the scriptures this morning. Uh, two different scriptures out of Genesis. I want to I want to share a couple moments from the life of Joseph for, for you this morning. Uh, really great stories here of someone who, who shared the kindness and the care of God in some very unique ways, uh, in, in, in particularly in, in a, like a work environment. That would be one way of thinking of it. I'm going to share with you two scriptures. So one out of Genesis chapter 39, and then we'll flip a couple pages over and grab another piece of the story. Uh, this piece of the story is when uh, Joseph has been sold out by his brothers. Y'all remember that? Like I had a dream and the brothers were like, yeah, I bet. And they, they, they beat him up and they throw him in a hole, right? And then they sell him to some slave traders from Egypt and he goes to Potiphar's house. And that's where we pick it up here. It says this, that when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. And Potiphar was the captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of the Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was, was giving him success in everything that he did. It pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant, put him in charge of his entire household, everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and his property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Isn't that a funny line? I read that this week and I was like, that's really funny. How did that make it into the Bible? Yeah. Yeah, so before we go to the next slide, I just want to highlight a couple things here. Uh, Joseph is working for someone. And uh, how many of you know he didn't choose to work for this guy? Uh, just key detail. We'll come to back to that, right? Like key detail. Like put that in your brain. Key detail. Uh, another thing. Think about this. Uh, if Potiphar is an Egyptian... Do Joseph and Potiphar believe the same things? No. Do they have the same politics? No. Do they have the same worship strategies? No. Key details. Put those in. Okay. Ding. Okay. Let's go to the next slide. Bingo. Genesis chapter 41. This is a little bit later. See, bad things happen to Joseph and he just keeps coming up through the ranks. Like bad stuff happens to him. He gets sold into slavery in the Potiphar's house, put in charge of everything. Uh, if you guys know the story, what happens at Potiphar's house? Potiphar's wife is like, Joseph is very, very handsome. I would like to sleep with him. So she comes out naked, you know, little, little forward, little forward. And Joseph runs away. But because of this, she says to Potiphar, well, he, he threw himself at me. And so Joseph ends up in prison, but then afterwards he does some more dream interpretation and he comes into contact with no one other than the very Pharaoh of Egypt. And here's another piece of the story. 
Joseph's suggestions, meaning Joseph's interpretation of Pharaoh's dreams and what to do about them, were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the spirit of God? Stop. Uh, Do Joseph and Pharaoh share the same opinions about life? Definitely not. Uh, Do they have the same... uh, the same religion? Uh, No. Do they have the same politics? No. Do they believe almost anything? Does the Venn diagram of their life overlap really at all? No, other than like they're alive and they're people. That's kind of like it, you know? And then look at what Pharaoh says. Can we find anyone else like this man who's so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? By the way, in Egypt, Pharaoh was considered a god. Like, what is going on here, right? This is an amazing story. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed to you the meaning of the dreams, clearly no one else is intelligent or wise as you. You'll be in charge of my court. All of my people will take orders from you. Only I sitting on my throne will have a rank higher than yours. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen clothes clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. Hear that, Seth? (laughs) He's got bling. (laughs) Yeah, an amazing story. So there's two moments here, and I just want to share really quickly a few very, very basic things here about cultivating, cultivating our work and school environments work in school environments, just based on the life of Joseph. I just want to pick up three things if you're taking notes this morning. And the first thing I want to pick up from this story is this, that we can be a blessing in non-Christian environments. Like Christians can do great work and we can be a blessing and we can honor God in deeply non-Christian environments. Uh, It's one of the things I love most about the Joseph story is that he's continually thriving in really hard circumstances. So he grows up at home. His father loves him. No one else does. Sibling rivalry. All the brothers hate him. He's thrown into a hole. Like Joseph's story begins by actually being thrown into a hole. He's down in a hole. Like cue Alice in Chains, you know. And But he, he continually thrives in really hard circumstances where he's opposed, not just at a, at, a, at a human level, which is definitely in the story, but, but like no one, no one would agree with anything that Joseph would have grown up with. And he continually thrives, and he continually is a blessing in really difficult environments. Uh, Potiphar did not serve or revere God, or at least not the God of Joseph. Uh, he didn't believe the same. Pharaoh did not believe the same as Joseph. Pharaoh was considered a god in Egypt. Both circumstances, Joseph does really good work, work that blesses uh, even in really, really, really hard moments, even to the point that in, in Genesis chapter 41, verse 38, Pharaoh says, can we find anyone like this man who is so obviously filled with the spirit of God? Okay, so here's the thing, uh, church. Uh, would it, is it possible for us to be like so Christian and so committed to the good that we could show up at work 
And our boss, maybe, maybe a boss who doesn't believe the same, doesn't care the same, maybe a boss who has different politics and a boss who has different ideas about faith or no faith at all, what would it be like if we were so deeply Christian that by doing the work that is in front of us, the boss has to declare there is a God and he must be with you? There's a challenge for your life, right? It's an amazing, amazing statement. Uh, I, I just want to tell you a, a couple other things because this is, this is going to be with us for a while. Uh, we're living in an America that is fairly, that is fairly secular it is going to become increasingly secular. Uh, the nation isn't going to become more Christian. Um, I know you'll hear pastors say, well, we can turn the nation around. I just want to tell you, probably not going to turn the nation around. We're probably going to go more like Europe all the time. Uh, even if there is a revival, it'll be, it'll be pocketed. Uh, I do believe in great turns in history, but we're probably not in one that, that would favor us. We're in a turn that's going to be away from from uh, Christians. Uh, not only that, but we're in a turn that's going to be away from all faith. It's not just Christianity. So Christians have this, like, this complex right now where we think we're being persecuted. We're really not, okay? Uh, everything is not just anti-Christian. We're living in a moment that's deeply secular, and it's going to become increasingly secular. And, and the, the prevailing mindset is going to be not so much that Christianity is a problem. The prevailing mindset is going to be any religion is a problem. Okay, you're hearing this more and more. Uh, it's not going to change anytime soon. In fact, it's going to become more and more pronounced at every level of society. And let me tell you something. Sometimes we get really upset by that, or sometimes we get depressed by that, or sometimes we think, oh, you know, we got we to gotta do something. Uh, I just want to tell you, Christianity has always thrived in difficult circumstances when it was opposed and when it, when it had little to no power, especially political power. Uh, I just want to tell you, the more that Christianity becomes entwined with political power, the more that you see a Christian standing next to the president, usually this is a huge problem. And the more that you see things getting sideways, the more that you see people... Um, Coming against the church, the more that you see people uh, no longer really believing, uh, the, the church always does better. The church does its best work in powerlessness. Uh, Jesus had no friends in Rome. Uh, Jesus was not friends with Caesar. Uh, uh, Jesus, every time, uh, didn't have a friend in Washington, just didn't, because those, those places cannot contain the kingdom of God. They don't contain it, and they can't contain the kingdom of God. And so one of the things we need to do is we need to take on a, we need to take on really an exile mindset. You think you're living in exile now? Give it another 10 years. We're really going to be living in exile. Uh, you can find cultural Christians kind of everywhere right now. In 10 or 20 years, even cultural Christians are going to be a rarity. Okay, and I want to tell you something. Christianity will not be dead. It will be thriving under the surface. Okay, uh, Christians can be a blessing in deeply non-Christian environments. Christians can be a blessing in deeply pagan environments. The Spirit of God will come on you when you are... This is what Jesus said, right, in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, look, uh, you're blessed if people come against you. Uh, I'll give you the words to say right? Or what about in the book of Acts when Peter and John, they're before the Sanhedrin and they just have the words to say, right? This is, this is going to be the thing. Joseph, read about Joseph in the next 10 years. Read about 
Daniel in the next 10 years. We're going into a massive moment of exile. And I want to tell you, a lot of people will lose heart. I want you to know, do not lose heart. This is going to be good for us. We're going to we're going, to, we're going to let go of the notion of political power. We're going to let go of the notion of human power and strength. And we're going to take on the, the, the notion of actual kingdom power, which is the power of Jesus, which is the power of letting go, of serving, of giving up our life rather than taking life, and of, of being something useful and good to the people around us. That's the power of the kingdom. The power of the kingdom is letting go. The power of the kingdom is not hanging on. The power of the kingdom is service. It is not coercion. The power of kingdom is giving up our life. It is not taking lives. Right? We're going to do really well. But it's not going to be easy. You might want to get connected to the story of Joseph, Daniel, Jesus, Paul. Where did Paul do his best work? In jail. You know, in jail. So we don't have to lose heart. Christians can be a blessing in deeply non-Christian environments. Uh, here's the second thing I want you to know about cultivating your work or your school uh, from the life of Joseph. We don't have to be in charge to make a difference. Amen. This is so important. I don't have to be in charge to make a difference. Can I tell you something? The dude who's in charge rarely has the most influence. Rarely. Just because someone has a title doesn't mean they actually have the influence in that system. How many of you have worked at a, at a workplace where there is a boss? Uh, that boss does have a title. That boss does have authority but they weren't the most influential person in that system. It's, that's always the way it is, by the way. It's always that way. We do not have to be in charge to make a difference. I love this about the life of Joseph. Of course, we know that he ends up in charge, but he never starts out there. Um, the world that we live in prizes a particular kind of leadership. It prizes being on top and notoriety. Uh, we live in a world where being seen is everything. But sometimes people with the most influence in a workplace or school are not the ones on top. I, that's almost always been the case in my life. Jesus says that the greatest in this life are the ones who lay down their lives. We can achieve really true greatness behind the scenes. Here's a few questions. Uh, right now, wherever you work or wherever you go to school... Is there someone you work with or you go to school with who is really struggling? Think for a minute. Is there someone struggling? Do you know? Like, how, how do we begin to exercise the influence of Jesus in a work environment? Well, we actually have to know the people. We actually have to know the humans, okay? Then we have to get close enough to them to know what is happening with the humans, uh, by the way, really key moment or key, key point here when it comes to influence and leadership and exercising the, the power and the love of Jesus in a work environment. Uh, people need to like you. <laughs> it's, you can, listen, you can rule systems with fear. You'll never get the best out of people. People need to like you because when they like you, they'll tell you the truth about themselves. And then you're like, oh, now I know something. And when you know something, you can begin to inject the kindness and the care of Jesus into whatever that story is. And how many of you know that when you work with people, 
Uh, or when you go to school with people 40 hours a week and then you do this for decades, all of a sudden you begin to know each other in a very particular way, right? Can I tell you something? You probably know something about someone you work with right now that their husband or wife does not know. By the way, that's very common. I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying it's common. Um, how many of you know that when you, when you work with people 40 hours a week for decades at a time, it's really normal uh, to find out all kinds of things about people's lives. You'll find out who's sick. You'll find out who's having financial troubles. You'll find out who is uh, dealing with like weird stuff at home. Uh, you'll find out who's, who's having an affair. You'll find out all kinds of stuff. Who's struggling at your work right now? Who's struggling at school? That is a place where the invitation of Jesus is wide open. Wide open. And look, I know there's all kinds of human resources rules about like proselytizing and stuff. Can I tell you something? People love to be cared for. They just love to be cared for. Ask what's going on. And you know what? This is another thing too. And I've had these interactions dozens and dozens and dozens of times with believers and with non-believers. When you begin to know someone's story and you're beginning to know the details of their lives and, and you just begin to maybe mirror back, hey, that's a, really, that's a really important thing you're talking about or that's a really heavy thing you're talking about. Do you care? Would you mind if I just prayed for you really quickly? Do you know what, you know what no one has never told me? No. And, and I'm talking about people who love Jesus, but I'm also talking about people who have no religious affiliation. I've prayed for atheists. Atheists love getting prayer. Why? Because everyone wants, everyone wants care. You know, you can, you can have a hallway meeting with someone, and you don't, like, you don't have to be a weirdo. Just like, hey, hey I'm, not, I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna pray for you right now, and there's people everywhere. Uh, just look like we're talking. Don't close your eyes. Jesus, would you touch Mary's body and would you heal it? I'm telling you, it changes everything. You don't have to be in charge to be the most influential. Like we can pastor these moments. You can be the most influential person at your school or your office just by caring, like doing good work and by caring. It's unbelievable. I think it has the added benefit of actually being true as well. <laughs> All right, last thing here. Last thing from the life of Joseph. Who we are when we're not in charge is a really big deal. That's another one. Like, you know, there's a lot of humans on the planet. Uh, the chance that we're all going to end up in charge is probably not going to happen. Like, not everybody's going to be the boss. Be, there might even be a season when you're the boss, and then all of a sudden, you're another season where you're not the boss. Or here's this little punch in the gut. After you become a boss, guess what you find out? You still have a boss. You know, like every boss is answering to someone, and even the guy who's at the top is answering to a board of directors. Like everybody has a boss. Yeah, who, who I am when I'm not in charge is a really big deal. Uh, Joseph was a dreamer. Like, we, the, his story opens up. If you go back and read it, it, he's just a dreamer from day one. And that never stopped. But Joseph was also a helper and an administrator. Even when he was at the bottom, 
You know, Joseph didn't just do good work when he became the guy in charge. Joseph did great work when he was at the bottom. Like who I am at the bottom is who I will be at the top. Joseph had integrity when he was on the bottom, you know? Like he could have slept with Potiphar's wife. It probably would have been fun. He didn't, Joseph didn't have a wife. He's not, he's not cheating on anyone, right? This would have been great, right? Except who you are on the bottom is who you'll be at the top. That's the problem. And so Joseph is an example of like integrity from day one. Not only that, but Joseph had plans. Uh, Joseph had the spirit of God. Joseph had his father's favor. But none of that kept him from experiencing stuff at the bottom, you know? And who he was at the bottom is really, really important. I don't know about you, but sometimes, sometimes I'm tempted to not give my best. Or sometimes I'm, I'm tempted to reserve my best work and my best ideas for the day that I'm in charge. You know? I'll just hang on to this idea for the day that I'm in charge. Because if I, if I implement it now, then my good-for-nothing leader is going to get credit. You know? You might be thinking, you've had those ideas? Yeah, I've had those ideas. It's like, I want to sit on stuff. You know, sometimes, uh, sometimes this, I'll just tell you this too. Uh, sometimes I've given myself to only criticizing my bosses. But here's the problem with that. Who I am now is who I'll be then. And who I am now is either setting me up for promotion or not. Talk to you real quick about criticizing our leaders and who we are now is setting us up for promotion or not. Uh, here, here's the thing that I've learned about promotion. Promote, and this is like you can, I don't think this is cynical. I just think this is true. Promotion, it means a lot of things, but here's the number one thing promotion always means. Promotion means more problems. Always. Like, like if you're thinking, think of, a, think of a work environment or a work system or a school. And think of being like a leader in that, in that system somewhere or a boss in that system. Every time you get a promotion, what you really got baptized into was more problems and harder things to figure out. Why? Because if it could have been figured out at a lower level, it would have been. And so sometimes it's easy for me as an entry-level person to like criticize my bosses. They're idiots. They never fix anything. It's like, oh yeah? That's easy for you to think because you're not dealing with the stuff that they're dealing with. And in fact, I used to do that, and then I became a boss and then realized, holy moly, they were dealing with stuff that I couldn't imagine. They were shielding me from things that I didn't even know about, right? Yeah, promotion always means dealing with harder stuff. The guy or the gal at the top is dealing with stuff that no one else knows about, you know? And so we have to really watch who we are and how we talk and the way, that we, the way that we spread criticism because if we ever get promoted, we'll be that person and then all of a sudden, uh, we're going to be dealing with things that we didn't know were around. Who I am when I'm down is who I'll be at the top. They're dealing with really hard things. Right now, no matter where I'm at, whether I'm at school or whether I'm at work, you know, hopefully, even especially if I'm not in a leadership spot right now, hopefully I'm developing the character or the people skills or like the hard skills of math and writing that will one day allow me to be a real contributor. And then in addition 
to those kinds of skills like reasoning and math and spreadsheets, all of us are actually called to develop our own soul so that we can be the kind of person that when new opportunities come to us, we can excel and at the same time care for people. It's like not, it, like if we're Christians, it's not just get the work done, it's also care for the humans. It, like those are really, really important. So here's what I want to do as we're wrapping up this morning. I just want to lay out a few things that we could all do as we head into the week and think about cultivating at work. And you could actually like amend the list, okay? I'm just going to put a few things down and then I want to talk to you for just a second about cultivating a few things at school. All right, cultivating at work. How could we like take some of this Joseph story and put it into, you know, some sort of an application process for our jobs we have? Cultivating at work. Well, here's the first thing we have to do if we're going to cultivate this kingdom thing at work. We got to nail the basics. Like whatever your job is, do a good job. What does that mean? It means like show up on time and work really hard. Like show up a little bit early, stay a little bit late, and work really hard. Like nail the basics. Nail the basics. Uh, please, please, vineyard people, don't be, don't be the people who talk about Jesus and do crummy work. For me, for me, don't do that. You know, show up a little bit early, stay a little bit late, do great work, and then, and then let that be the platform for, for Jesus' ministry and for caring to be, to be commissioned off of. Like, that's the Joseph story. That's the Daniel story. That's the Jesus story. That's the Paul story. Like, this is what Christians do. Okay, number two. Uh, here's one particular thing I've been thinking about this week. Look, look for ways to solve the things or solve the projects that others run away from. Can I tell you something that happens in every work environment? Um, it's this. It's called pass the what? Pass the buck. And if you get good at working inside of work environments, one of the things you know is you'll, you can learn the system and be like, okay, we got a human resources director, and then we got this person over here, and then we got somebody who's a manager or of operations, and this is a really hard problem. And I could, I could literally start an email chain that will delay all work for two weeks. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you could, just, you could just take your problems and keep funneling it through a system and it can look like you're doing something, but you're really doing nothing. You're just like hiding out. This happens all the time in work environments. Hey, look, let's, let's be a little bit more like Joseph. Let's be like Daniel. Let's be like Jesus. Let's be like Paul. And instead of running away from the hard things or the things that no one else wants to do, let's actually run to them. Let's go, okay, what is the problem here at this work environment? And how is it that I can not just do the things that I've been asked to do, but how can I put my focus on the thing that no one else wants to do? You know, let's solve the problem. Let's, let's go talk to our boss and go, that thing over there that no one wants to do, I'm signing up for trying to figure it out. Do you mind? Can I have some resources? Man, this is huge, 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 huge. You want to advance in your career? Be the person who tackles things that no one else wants. Why? Because promotion is always baptism into bigger problems. Like, you know, you want a bigger paycheck? This is how you do it. Run to problems. Okay, what about problem people? Run to them. Find out what's going on. Find out what's going on. Uh, in every work environment, there's always the person who sabotages. Every, uh, by the way, anytime any uh, system starts to do something new, 
especially if it's pointed toward health, someone there will sabotage it. Someone will be committed to sabotaging, okay? Uh, that doesn't mean they're a bad person. It means they're afraid. Uh, so part of what it means to be someone who's solving the problems, and especially someone who's a Christian and who is caring about people, is it's time to go to that person and find out, what is it you're afraid of? Like, what, what thing in, are, are we doing here that's bringing up all your insecurities or your anxieties, and why are you sabotaging? Yeah, that's one. Okay, number three, cultivating at work. Last one, check in with people's personal lives. Don't just do the spreadsheet, but like know about the people that you're leading or know about the people that you're working with. What is happening in people's personal lives? Learn your team, learn your team. Spend a few minutes extra learning uh, something about the people that you work with. Uh, that could be as small as a text message. That could be as small as an email or maybe a quick phone call. Or, or maybe it's time to take uh, the people that you work with uh, out to lunch. And by the way, you don't have to be the boss to take people out to lunch. You know, We don't have to wait for our boss to take us out to lunch. You can take people out to lunch. This is, again, how to, how to be the person who has the influence in a system. That's it. You, know? you could take everybody to, to Fiesta. It'll cost you 30 bucks, and you'll have influence. I mean, it's really that simple. Why? Because we have to check in with people's human lives. This is what it means to garden and be a gardener. Garden and be a gardener. Okay, now school. School, same thing. If you're a student right now, nail the basics. Do your best work. Do your best work. Try your best. Do the stuff that's in the syllabus. Really dig in because it'll be really hard to have influence in a system or at least kingdom influence if you're not doing the work. Like, you know, one of the... One of the things that was always very annoying is having people try to talk to me about Jesus and then they don't do the work. That's just very, very, very disheartening. You know, you want to have kingdom influence at school? Do the work. Nail the basics. Show up on time. Uh, then uh, number two for students, follow your curiosity. This is very, very important. You know, the best learning I've just found in my own life, I do my best learning when I'm engaged with things I'm really interested in you know okay so part of school is you have to learn things that you're not interested in and you have to because this is just important for your development you know you need to know x y and z you ought to know a little bit of math you need to know how to write you need to know the difference between then and then uh you need to know (laughs) how is this possible you know what what how do you not know the difference between then and then you know it's like god and I'm not even the grammar police, but my Lord. Anyway, you need to know that. But then, you know, the thing that will really boost your schoolwork is to, is to follow your curiosity. You know, maybe there's something that you started learning. You're like, wow, that's really interesting. Well, start reading on that on your own. Or maybe go to your teacher or to your professor and go, hey, that was really neat. Is there a what should I do to learn some more about that? Is there some program in the world? Is there something in the world that does that that I just didn't know about? Uh, can I tell you all something really quick, especially students? I'm 42 years old now. When I graduated high school, when I was 18, I was a flippin' idiot. And I didn't know anything about the world. I didn't know anything about the world. And in the last 20, 24 years, I've learned some things about the world that I really wished I had known then. I didn't know the world was so big. 
you know? I didn't know the world had so many like open doors. Like you do not have to get stuck doing what your parents are doing. You do not have to get stuck doing what people in Campbellsville do. There's so much more in the world. Like you can, you can go all kinds of places. There are tremendous things happening around the world and they're as open to you as they're open to anyone else. Like you should follow your curiosity. If there's something kind of like sparks, like chase it a little bit. There's probably something there. And at the end of the day, even if it's not a career, uh, you'll just become a more well-rounded person who's, who's engaged with what's actually happening in the world. Like students, follow your curiosity. Like this is one way for you to be cultivated. Okay, and then finally, finally, same as work environment. Look around at what's happening with your classmates. Who's struggling? Uh, here's another one, especially at school. This is a big one. Who is not included? You know? Like, that's a big one at school. Who is not included? There's always kind of like a group who's in, and then there's like people who are not. Like, look around and go, who's not? Jesus would go to that person. I promise you he would go to that person. No matter what's going on, he would go to that person. And it doesn't even mean you have to be the best friend to that person, but it means you can check in, right? Who's not included? All right. I've talked long enough. Everybody good? Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.